Hey, Geeky On listeners. So short intro this time, uh, I just wanted to quickly wish everyone a happy St. Patrick's Day and uh, tell you about the podcast. Uh, this week, Tom and I speak about, uh, we talk about video games, specifically, uh, we discuss an article we read in The Atlantic, uh, sort of about um, how, you know, how video games and narrative really interact. Um, I think it was a pretty fruitful discussion, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, as well, we talk a little bit about uh, Game of Thrones. Um, we tied into an article that I wrote about uh, what will be made canon when all is said and done, when the show and the books finally end. Uh, and you'll also be able to check that out on the Geeky On website, uh, which should be going up later this week. So stay posted for details. But uh, without further ado, enjoy the podcast. Listeners to the special Pi Day edition of the Geeky On Pod. Yeah, which will not be going up today. So I mean, but We're, people can know it's yeah. being recorded on Pi Day on March fourteenth. So happy Pi Day to all of you, and welcome to another Geeky. Well, why am I saying happy Pi Day? It's not Pi Day happy when they're listening. I hope belated, you enjoyed happy belated Pi yeah. Day. I hope you enjoyed your fucking you? Pi Day. All right, just whatever. When is it going up? Monday. Yeah, Tuesday. It'll Tuesday? Go okay. So, I don't know why I'm so uppity about oh, it. Oh, well, but... so happy St. Patrick's Day, then. Oh, shit. But, okay, so we're drinking Guinness right now. That was totally intentional. That was intentional. That so was entirely... We're, we're having <laughs> coffee and pie for pie day, and we've got a Guinness, yeah. so our bases are covered. Yeah. Anyway, it'll welcome be, to it'll the It'll be the podcast. perfect thing to have today would be a Guinness pie. Oh, they're so good. I've they had a amazing. Guinness um, tea biscuit before. What? Yeah, that does. Sound I don't good. know how it was made, but it I've was... had Guinness cheese as well. Guinness cheese. Yeah, it's like a. It's got like a marbling of. It was a cheddar, I believe, but it had like a marbling sort of of like bestowed in it. It was really good. Anyway, wow. let's actually do what we're supposed to do here, which is podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're we're back for another geeky on podcast, and it is again uh, yourself, Tom. Uh, Tom, yeah, and and me, Eric, doing. Uh, a sort of a, a hosted podcast, just uh, discussing a couple of topics that we're going to explore today. So, the the two main things that we want to get into, you know, sort of in the heart of the podcast, is um, a really interesting article that we read on the Atlantic. Uh, what, it's what, called "Video Games Are Better Without Characters" by Ian Bogost. Yep. Uh, on the Atlantic, great article. You should read it. Uh, but we're going to talk about. Certainly, parts of it. It's, yeah, there's a and, lot and to it. And what but. we think, or like sort of what we took away from it, or what yeah. it means to us. And the other being um, Game of Thrones, which returns next uh, month. Um, and our sort of examination of George R. R. Martin's uh, narrative style and whether we think it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> hurtful. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's hurtful just mean spirit. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that. And I guess we can just. Briefly touch on the the article that I wrote that will be going up soon. I assume. Uh, yes, I'll try and get it up this weekend, but it could be early next week. Uh, well, exactly. By the point that the podcast comes up, it should be up. If not, um, you can look to the Facebook page and Twitter to see when it goes up. It will get be your updates, up um, which will be 
essentially the inaugural post. I mean, we've got some other stuff that'll be going up as well, but yeah, I've got I've got one up there that's like it was a placeholder. I could leave it there, <laughs> but if yeah, sure, we'll say that that's the first. It's all right. I don't want to yeah. steal your thunder. I mean, no, you can. Okay. It's okay. I just <laughs> felt like people should watch Party Down, so I wrote a little article about yeah, it. Yeah, actually, and that's a really great write up, and that it was a great show. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're basically just touching on this because okay. I just wrote, wrote the article, <laughs> and it's a good it's a good conversation to have the the taking a look at the way Game of Thrones works as a, as a story, like you know, in terms of storytelling. So um, before we jump into that, let's just talk about what sort of uh, caught our eyes of late and what's going on. Uh, well, uh, do, do you want to start? Because I feel like I can segue from my thing. Cool. That makes sense. Um, pretty easily into our next discussion. So, I mean, the, the major things that have kind of jumped out at me that I've uh, been keenly interested in uh, of late um, is the, the biggest thing is I think the... the New Apple conference that just went up. That right. They talked about the new uh, devices and stuff, and the Apple Watch was announced finally. I mean, it's been it's been talked about for a while, but you know, this is the first time where they really showed what it's going to be. And I just, I really hope it's a flop. Not not anything to knock Apple, but because I think it's it really flies in the face of of like what watches are actually about i mean i'm not a big watch nerd or anything but um you know the the whole thing is they've got like their low end which is like 500 bucks 440 or like four, uh, 450 bucks for their sport edition and then the the uh or the just the, the apple sport or whatever and then the edition the versions like the high end yeah start at ten thousand dollars wait what yeah yeah there's, the, the, there's multiple ones that are yeah i think plus I think the the highest it's like a it's it's plat it's made with platinum or whatever it's like you know a luxury watch. The highest one I think is twenty one thousand dollars. It's <laughs> it's laughable. So it's like a thousand dollars per hour of charge that it can hold at a time. <laughs> exactly, which is one of the many reasons why I think that this 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 concept of like a you know luxury smartwatch is. So frankly, I just think shitty. What does that? I, I'd see. I haven't really looked into what it is, but like, what? Why does it cost that much money? Uh, it's essentially it's because it's a luxury product. I mean, it is. It's like solid gold. It's very. It, it's a very pretty looking device, but it's jewelry. I mean, they they don't yeah, mix words okay. about it. It is intended to be a, a piece of jewelry as a like status gonna, symbol. Yeah, you're gonna wear it at the tennis club. Exactly, but this—that's what pisses me off—is that uh, as a piece of jewelry or as a pe- like the thing is, is that <laughs> when you look at something, you know, like a, an actual like a, a traditional watch that costs in that same price point, um, there are a lot of reasons why getting a, an Apple smartwatch version of that is just terrible. For one thing, it's only useful for the two years or however many years that the, the existing iPhone, system, yeah. yeah, operating system that can be paired with, uh, is going to be around, which will not be a long time. As opposed to like a, something like a Rolex or um, you know a Tag Heuer or like any any luxury watch, that'll last a lifetime, and it's yeah. it's an heirloom in effect. I mean, yeah. like my my dad has a. A Rolex that was given to him by his father. And you've got your eye on it. I, I fucking hope so. I, I'm just <laughs> waiting for that guy to kick the bucket. Right. But uh, it's it's not even a pretty watch or anything. But you know, like there's there's that like 
you're not going to have a hand-me-down fucking like an heirloom smartwatch because it'll be useless by yeah, that well, time. Well, you can hand it down. It's just it's, it's going to be two years later and exactly. the person getting it is not going to be thankful. No, and they'll probably pay a fraction. It's, of, an you know, it's like It'll be yeah. worth a fraction of the price. Um, so it doesn't have the the longevity or the appeal of, of a traditional watch in that sort of price point. So, And not only that, there's a craftsmanship side to it. I mean, where a Rolex watch or, or something like that is, is often hand-built from tiny pieces. Uh, yeah, like, you know, like right. Incredibly uh, deft craftsmanship. Little gears and such. Um, you know, like, and, and, like a smartwatch is basically built on a circuit board with robots. Yeah, it's it's not... PCBs. Yeah, exactly. You know, like the closest you can call it craftsmanship is the Foxconn workers that the, are working yeah, for... Yeah, for yeah. like 23 hours straight and, you right. know, attempt to kill themselves or fail because they end up falling in, in the safety Into the nets. netting, yeah. Yeah, so like, <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy to me that they have made, they've made an attempt at this market and I, I want to see it fail not for any fault of Apple's but because it, if it succeeded, it would show that the market doesn't care about craftsmanship and about quality and about having something that will stand the test of time. You know, it, it'll basically say that, you know, marketing and hype and popularity dictate what people, like, what is valuable to, to people. And that, yeah. that would be really shitty to me. And especially at that price point, you know, like, where if you can be swayed by those factors to spend that much money, it's like, just, what is wrong? Even the, the lower price point, you said it was 450 Yeah, and that's... But that's, that, that seems pretty high compared is, to the other one. Have you used... It's close to double what the average one goes for. Have you used any of those watches? Because I, no. I actually do like wearing a watch. I'm yeah. not wearing one right now. And part of that is because I... It's a huge pain to replace the battery. So I have... I have actually three watches at home. They're all dead. That are just dead. Yeah. They're in a drawer. It's not even that, that big of a pain. That's the no. funny thing. But it's it's enough well, of a pain that you have that to it, Yeah, it's too much friction, <laughs> static friction for me to actually overcome it. Yeah. But I haven't, u- I haven't used any of them before. The, um, so I haven't used smart watches. Um, for much the same reason that I never had a calculator watch when they were a thing. <laughs> I did have a calculator watch. I did have a calculator watch. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> It had uh, like with the you mean where it flips up the face or like or there's just like a little tiny dot, like pad yeah yeah like I right had on one that had it had an analog face I think and then you could flip that up <laughs> almost then, like a laptop well at least that's a little bit cooler inside. because it's like a discreetly yeah. stupid nerdy thing yeah but, I don't know if I ever used it really I could well that's that's the th- that's why I've never used one of these smartwatches is that <laughs> it has functionality that I don't see the purpose of in a watch. It, I'm not yeah. saying it doesn't. It's not useful. I'm just saying I haven't personally seen the use of it. I'd be interested in trying it out over a weekend or something like that. I don't think I would yeah. buy one. I think I think like they have some nice. They have some nice elements to them. I think the only one that I've seen that I really think does it right uh, are the Pebble. Especially yeah. they just announced the new ones. Um, and the cool thing I find is that one they use e-ink. Uh, Panel, like display right, so the batteries, so the batteries last a lot longer. exactly yeah. so rather than having a day of battery life you get like a week yeah uh which is pretty reasonable uh, you know like yeah that's fine yeah um and it's you know it looks nicer it's got a it's got almost more of a it, it has more of the look of a real watch rather mm-hmm. than just a piece of tech on your yeah. arm um and they've got adjustable bands and stuff like that you can change them and it's just a very simple elegant kind of uh you know of a smartwatch which i just think is probably the better way to approach it 
Um, yeah, like so. What is the main use case of these watches? Because I think it's really more to see looked... things like to see your messages or to have like it can be used like uh, you know right. a, an, an extension of the, those things. So because uh, I uh, I looked into the what, what's the one called Nike Fit Fitbit and Fitbit. Yeah, the, like I looked into those from a fitness perspective. Yeah, and I, what I ended up doing was I just. Uh, got one of those uh, spy belts so I could just put my phone in, like basically just right. in there, so that I could it could track. My, yeah, because again, your running. phone has all the capabilities to do all yeah. these things. It's just whether or not you want to lug your phone around. Yeah, so I, I looked into it for that because it would be kind of more convenient to just strap that to my yeah. wrist, and that and then it would track your you know walking around. So like the fitness side of it, I can understand, but I, I just didn't see spending whatever it was like a hundred, two hundred dollars for yeah, that. So I don't know what the, so it's just, so you can see your message without getting your phone out of your pocket? Yeah, I think you can do stuff like you can actually use it to take phone calls. It's got a microphone uh, on it and stuff, but uh, I, I don't know the full extent, the extent of the functionality of them, um, like offhand. I've read about it, but it just, it eludes me. But I know that mostly it's just, it's things like, it's like messaging and, and the basic functions of your phone can be kind of pushed. Like you can get your email notifications on your on your watch which is kind of nice i like the idea of not pulling out my phone every like you know you 30 seconds or yeah. whatever to, to check out what's going on it's nice to have that and and use that almost like as a as, as like a gate uh to, to dictate whether or not you need to go into your phone every time you know yeah. um so they're not horrible in theory i'm not saying that smart watches are dumb i'm just saying that uh the way that apple's approached it and and treating it like it's a luxury product it just kind of it to me it is disrespectful to like the actual craft of, of luxury watches and it, it totally i think fundamentally mis misunderstands why those watches are that expensive in the first place it's not purely because they're jewelry i mean that's there's no question that's a part of it the materials are expensive but it's also because of the the craftsmanship and because of the you know the amount of uh minute details and work that went into those watches and that's just something that doesn't exist in, in real life. So that caught my eye. They also, the other, I think, big outrage thing with um, Apple is they announced the new MacBook Air. And the big thing is it's got one port on the whole thing. A USB port? Yeah, it's a USB-C. It's not, it's not even like your typical USB port. It's a, Can you use your typical USB? With an adapter, yes. Uh, it, also, <laughs> it also is your charging port. So you can't charge and use peripherals at the same time. Huh. And their their rationale, which I kind of understand, is that everything is wireless now. So, you know, you can use Bluetooth and things like that for keyboard. Does it have, stuff. like, a headphone port? That I don't know. I assume so. I Because that's just a totally different thing. I think it was really yeah. more for peripherals and extensions. This right. is the only port you've got. And charging, which that's the only thing where I thought was bizarre is why why create that that like dichotomy well yeah and just it it creates a weird log jam like it's just Mm -hmm. why like power and and all of your connection you know your connectivity ports it should be a little bit separate but yeah that was a that was the weird thing so it's cool in in one sense because i think it's kind of it's a movement in a direction that i think everything's heading yeah i'm i i actually kind of like that i guess that at some point somebody has to go out on a limb a little bit to yeah. kind of cut the cord because I, uh, as, as I'm sure you know, have recently built 
my first desktop computer in a yeah. while, and just the amount of cables, like I kind of forget yeah. how many cables are going everywhere, and that's it's kind of irritating. So yeah. I and I get things tangled all the time. So it it would be nice to uh, not have things plugged in. Yeah, for and sure. And it is going that way, but like I don't have Bluetooth headphones. Yeah, or a Bluetooth mouse or Bluetooth, necessarily, or like a Bluetooth yeah. game controller or anything. Like yeah. That. So it's. It's it's like it's it's, it's forward now. facing. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's probably going to be annoying now. It's kind of like the first okay with it moving that way. Yeah, it's eventually. like it's like the first laptops or whatever that got rid of optical drives. There right. was still a lot of media that was you know that you're using on a disc, and so it's frustrating that you can't use that anymore. But ultimately, it was correct in assuming that you know that's that's going away. Like the the optical discs and stuff like that were kind of on their way, yeah. and they continue to be so. That one I I thought was less of an affront, more of a like it's I still won't buy that thing. It's near like it's irritating to me. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to deal with that problem, so I won't buy it. But I think that it is it is actually in fairness a step in the right direction. Where the watch, I don't think that's so much the case. Yeah. I think it's a step in the wrong direction. Um, so that's the that's the biggest thing that caught my eye. The other thing, um, again, talking about people that passed away, which is uh, but Terry Pratchett. Um, yeah, yeah, which was really sad because uh, he was basically suffering from Alzheimer's. Died at sixty six, which was, you know, it's pretty young by today's standards. Um, you know, but, but yeah, and he there took was his also since our last recording, there was uh, who was it? The Simpsons co-creator. Yes, and Sam Simon. Sam Simon, right. and that is actually so, that one was the one that actually impacted me much more. Yeah, at the risk of turning into a weekly. Yeah, like it's it's really morbid, but, uh, but there's just been a lot of big right. creatives that have passed away of late. Um, so I mean, Terry Pratchett, uh, I know I recognize his importance in the genre of fantasy and, and in satire um, as a really important uh, author. But I personally haven't read really much of his work. I think more than maybe some, some shorter form stuff. Um, so it didn't hit me. Sam Simon was basically responsible for the best years of The Simpsons. Because, uh, like, yeah. I mean, well, I can't say that, like, entirely, but it's worth noting that he left at around, I think, season 10. Uh, and so did I. Yeah, exactly, which was right about when, like, at the end of where the season, uh, the, the Simpsons was consistently excellent. So what what is The Simpsons at right now? Do you know? It's the high 27? So it's 28? been on almost twice as long as the... 10-year period that I watched it. Yeah, that's so the funny thing. almost two decades of material that I've almost not seen any of. Which is, that's hilarious because it actually opens an interesting discussion of, you know, is this, what, like, you know, is The Simpsons still yours because, uh, you know, it's existed for so much beyond where you, where you, you followed mean, it. You mean the original? Yeah, like, or exactly, like, do is, I have is a relationship what, with Yeah, them? exactly, is what you think of The Simpsons, is that still really what The Simpsons is? Um, I, I think, I honestly, I think that there's a case to be made because the, the cultural relevance was at its peak then. It's, right. it's never, like, it, you know, The Simpsons today is not nearly as culturally relevant as it was in the mid-90s. You know? No, because, I mean, well, maybe there are t-shirts still, but I remember seeing, like, Cowabunga t-shirts with yeah or don't them. have a cowman and yeah stuff don't like have that. a cowman they were everywhere yeah exactly everywhere. uh so i i think that's actually an interesting thing to to look at but it's true but, it's, yeah i would say that for me i don't feel like i have a relationship with the simpsons currently honestly because no. i i haven't seen probably more than a half dozen episodes in 
almost two decades. But from what I have seen, I don't really connect with it that much. It seems like it's quite a different show, but I don't fault it for that. I mean, the yeah. fact that you've been on well, for I think that so she, long, like, you're going to have to change a little bit. I think it's just a different show for probably a different group of viewers. Yeah, of well, that's it. Like, I think that the, the tone of the comedy and the, the nature of it has, has evolved with the audience and changed. Right, and so, I've changed, too. I mean, exactly. I'm almost, well, I, like, it's probably 15 years older, so half of my life. Yeah. So I'm different as well. So it, it, maybe it's not all of The Simpsons either. No, it's not. I, I certainly wouldn't say that. And it's one of those things where I have a hard time when people crap on The Simpsons like for what it is now because I what it is now does not reflect what it was. No, it's just a different it. show. And exactly. From what I understand, it's still got quite a following, yeah. right? Like there are still good so, viewership numbers. I think, it, well, I mean, it's not canceled, so it must be doing something, you know? Um, but yeah, it... Sam Simon passing away was was very saddening. Uh, it wasn't a shock. He had had cancer for quite some time. And I think one of the most amazing things about that story with him is that um, when he learned he had cancer, he basically made a choice to to give away pretty much everything he had. He, like, I think he might be one of the most philanthropic people that I've ever heard of in terms of like when he when he made that decision and he you know he left that an incredible legacy as a result not just in terms of his creative work but as a philanthropist well. yeah. like so it's it's really sad to see a person like that you know leave this world because it's just like that's it's people like him are few and far between um but i just think that uh you know it's it's a good sort of uh opportunity to remember his legacy you know in terms of what he did did for comedy and for television uh yeah, so we'll, we'll have a we'll have a drink drink to Sam Simon. Yeah, this is Guinness. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I mean, uh, more deaths. That's that's another thing yeah, that's been yeah, happening yeah. lately. But um, yeah, that's that's basically the things that I've noticed in terms of uh, what's been in the news. What about you? Um, okay, well, not so much in the news, but what I've been up to lately. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I recently built my first desktop computer in a while. So I don't have that many PC games. I, I really just haven't uh, had the ability to run any high-spec PC games in a while. So the first game that I installed on my machine was probably the most graphically advanced game I had, which was StarCraft II. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, this kind of somehow snowballed into a thing where at the lab where I work, uh, my coworkers and I will basically at every lunch... And after hours, we'll just boot up StarCraft 2. <laughs> and so we kind of just started playing 3 versus 3 against the AI. And we got basically to a point where we couldn't progress any farther because we just weren't very good at it, I guess. So then we yeah. started reading about how to get better at this game. <laughs> and it, it got like this whole uh, rabbit hole thing where, so, I mean, it's really hard to even access the strategies out there because they use all this insider terminology like oh yeah because the thing is is that it, the 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 community around it evolved from starcraft so this oh yeah it's old existed. it's old yeah. yeah and it's not to mention starcraft 2 is not a new game it's no 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 what four years now um i think yeah i want to say 2011 or 2010 yeah but um yeah so like i'm trying to read i, I started playing protoss and I'm Which, trying to read, and it's got, like, the four warp all-in strategy, and, like, 
I don't know what that means. And then, <laughs> and then it's talking about like sling bling muta zerg strategies. I don't. I couldn't what? even build. I it it took me seven minutes of my first zerg game to figure out how to make uh, more production ability. Like you know how you've got your food or whatever it is. Yeah. I could not figure out what was happening because the way to do it is you build overlords, which yeah. are an actual unit that move around the map. Yeah, yeah. that's again. But, so like, I was looking. For series yeah, so I was looking for a structure. To build, and I built literally everything that I could build, and I just still not building had... overlords. Yeah. Anyway, so the the point is, we started reading about all this stuff. Yeah. And so we're we're really really getting into it, and this is just um, to segue into the fact that it's actually the World Championships of Starcraft this week in Poland. There's World Championships on, so we kind of um, one of my friends at the lab sent me a link to watch this live stream, and I. I have to say, I found it very, very compelling watching this stuff. It was really interesting to me. And yeah. the the matches are so finely poised. And I've never really watched esports before. Yeah. It's, it's just never really been a thing. Like, I kind of watched... I think I watched one Call of Duty match, which was really strange. Because it was a group of guys and another group of guys standing in a room and just trash-talking each other nonstop. Like all the time screaming at each other. Yeah. Whereas this, uh, the StarCraft II World Championships, it has, like, commentary teams who are really yeah. good. Like, they really know what they're talking about. Oh, yeah. About. They, 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 they can they see know exactly what, happening. what the players are doing. And it's... As, like, yeah. just by, you know, a you couple can, of mouse clicks, oh, they're like, oh, they're doing yeah. this. And, and then yeah. they catch, kind of, it's all about scouting. So they're scouting each other's bases. They see that he's got this structure, and then you see the player... Adapt. Completely changes their strategy. Yeah. And it's all poised on this knife edge yeah. and it's it's so interesting to me and I and I never really thought that I would watch esports like that but I, it was really and I've got like so Hero Hero uh, CJ I think is my guy he's a Protoss guy I think there's only two Protoss in the quarterfinals and because I, I apparently identify with Protoss now so <laughs> I was cheering for this guy and then I noticed that um there was only one Zerg guy in the quarterfinals, but he had like a really big contingent there. And I, like the comment, I even wrote down some of the, some of the quotes from the commentator. <laughs> so like he he took this other guy's base, yeah, and he won this match. And and you can hear like the crowd because there's a crowd watching this, right? Yeah, and you can hear the excitement building as he's bringing his little Zerglings in, and they're kind of taking out some structures. And then like as he wins, like there's a huge roar, and so the <laughs> The commentators, lots of Zerg fans in the crowd. Uh, Dark wins game one, lots of hope for his race. Because <laughs> so many people identify with the Zerg race. Such a weird racial affiliation. Yeah, it's to a weird. Video and game, it's, yeah. But it's like, it's in Poland. Yeah. And th this Korean player who's probably maybe never been to Poland before, I don't know, because a lot of these guys actually play uh, within Korea. Right. Of course, and, it's huge. Uh, I think that this player in particular is not known outside of Korea, really. Right. So he's at this world championship in Poland, and there's all these Polish people Cheering who are Zerg, yeah, and they identify they, with they Zerg. identify in the context of this this environment. They identify yeah, so with Zerg, regardless. It of was the fact really of interesting, and so like I just, I mean, just the ability of these people to multitask is unreal because it, the game tracks something called actions per minute, which is essentially how many clicky things yeah, you how do. Yeah, how many things per minute. you do per minute. Okay. And so I'm okay. Like, against the AI is not the same as playing against human players yeah. at all. 
but like I can play the like the group of us at the lab, we can play against like the hardest AI and beat it. Not all the time, yeah. but we can beat it. So like we're not completely stupid. I'm horrible at Zerg, obviously, but like we're not useless. But my actions per minute are like twenty five. Yeah. And like th this guy is like, oh well, he's not. No I was reading a, a bio of one of these guys. And yeah. He's like, oh, he's not known for like an incredibly high actions per minute in the low three hundreds. So like, how? <laughs> what? And and so it cuts sometimes between. So it kind of shows you the what the game that's happening when you're watching the cast, and then it'll occasionally flip to the actual player, and just just the keyboard movement, like the yeah. click clacking on the mechanical <laughs> keyboard, is I can't type. A yeah. sentence that I know I want to write In that, that fast, speed, yeah. and I'm pretty fast at typing. <laughs> That's true. So, and I think I'm like just think about like words per minute typing, yeah. or like yeah, like and my if you broke words, that down to yeah. characters per minute or whatever. Like that's that's it's in itself crazy. It's madness. And um, to type 300 characters per minute, that's like I mean, or like say 300 to 400 characters per minute is like that's a fair bit, even with just going yeah. autonomous. Uh, then to actually think about like strategy to everything you're oh, doing. Oh yeah, and they're so and they're so fast. Like uh, as I was saying, like the the adapting the strategy, completely changing their strategy. They've got multiple bases, and they're micromanaging their attacks. Because if yeah. you lose like a couple, if you guys, lose a couple of units at that level, you can lose. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, it's it's just it's super compelling to watch. Yeah. And so anyway, my my point with the action permitted is like I am fully aware that I'll never be as good as these guys. Yeah. No, like I'm not even close, and it's, I have no real interest in being as good. And this is where it's kind of the esports thing. It's like I am happy to go out and play baseball with some friends, right? Yeah. Without ever wanting to throw a nine hundred ninety, sorry, ninety mile an hour fastball, I yeah. don't want to throw a nine hundred mile an hour fastball. That I would, well, that I would be, I would love to do it if I could. That'd be incredible. It, oh, yeah, that, you'd it be would, set for life. You'd but certainly be considered a horrifying like. Even if you, you know, could only weapon. throw that pitch five times, a team would hire you because you just come on in the ninth inning of like Game 7 of the World the, Series. I think you'd be more likely recruited recruit to the military for some like <laughs> that's weird assassination that's, purposes. That's, that's, that's because like, in baseball, that's, that's beyond, beyond like practical. <laughs> it's like, all right, we're going to move the right. catcher... Yeah, oh, oh yeah, that's from yeah, behind I haven't, even, I haven't even considered that because the catcher is doomed. Yeah, you're the just going to kill a man. Okay, well, anyway, so my point is, <laughs> in sports, I never... You don't want no, to achieve I that. don't want to achieve the professional level. Yeah. And in this esports thing, it's not me looking at it thinking, How do oh, I, I want to play that way. It's yeah. like, I'm just really content to watch them do it. As you should And to be. understand yeah. the strategy of it, which is a lot like how I digest sports themselves. Yeah. So, it, I, I, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to watch, like, the next tournament or anything. Yeah, but I I was surprised by how much I really enjoyed watching it. I was watching it this morning actually before I came over here. I think that's an interesting thing. It's funny that you actually bring up the specific numbers uh, by comparison because you know I think there's there's often discussions about you know like what's a real gamer and like you know like you know real like what are the behaviors or actions or how good you are to be yeah. a gamer. Um, but that that puts like it's a key distinction. It's you know sp games like sports. Have varying levels of you know difficulty and sophistication depending on like sort of the level of play. Right. But you know whether or not like whether or not you can achieve that doesn't take away from your you know like your playing that you know like playing playing beer league softball 
you know, as opposed to playing Olympic level, you know, baseball or something, you still play softball. Like that's yeah. that is a part of who you are based on what you like to do. You know, like right. don't don't get me wrong, you're not a you know, like that's not everything you are. And I think coming into when we talk about the article, I think a big part of what that was a big part of the problem with uh sort of the conversation is the fact that there's this intrinsic identity problem. Yeah. Um you know, like you're, you know, you're not defined by the softball that you play, but someone, you know, like someone saying to you, it's like, well, you don't really play, play a sport because yeah. you just play beer league softball. Well, that's just someone being an asshole to me. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're still playing a sport. Yeah. <laughs> like, you are definitely playing a sport. There's, it's just, there's no argument to that. No. You know? So, uh, that's a, it's a good point. Like if you like to play the games, if you enjoy it, it's and that's something that you define as a pastime that you enjoy, then your level of, of aptitude is irrelevant. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter. You know, it's you're not a professional gamer, but unless you're you're you know like claiming that you are when you're just not, yeah. then there's and nothing wrong with saying that. It's you're really, playing. I would be really interested to see the levels of psychological stress on the players at at this. That would be well. I think just event. having like just having like a an EKG or something, or oh, just some man. sort of like a graph showing um, yeah. uh, what like what's going on in terms of the brain activity would be fascinating. Because yeah, there's there's just so much stimuli. There's so many things. It's um, crazy, and and there's t- the opportunity for something to go wrong in these matches is so high. Yeah. Sorry. That. Like you can see the stress on these guys' faces. It's it. I don't know. It it was really interesting. Uh, is all I'll say about that. Yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating phenomenon, and I think that um, I think well, StarCraft I think is the game that has like really pushed esports into a a point of relevance. I mean, that's the only game I've really seen where people have come in the in the numbers that they have to like watch these events and cheer them on. Yeah. It's interesting. I would, I mean, personally, I, I would love to see a day where, uh, you know, I click on ESPN in the middle of the day and rather than seeing darts, well, it's, <laughs> I see a game of StarCraft. Right, right. Well, it's but, on, uh, it is on the score. I don't know how much it's televised. I don't yeah. know how much of it is maybe just like streaming through their website or something, but yeah. like the score does have esports. I don't know how many they cover. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually, still, it's still, to, it's still fledgling. It's still yeah. growing. I mean, you know, like we but, still uh, we like where we are. We still hardly see coverage of cricket, uh, which yeah. is a huge sport. So it it just takes time and, and you know sort of cultural yeah. relevance and, and demand. Actually, there's, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of interesting questions about this because I've been kind of thinking a little bit about like whether or not esports are sports, which I imagine a lot of people are talking about. Because yeah, for sure. Because a lot of people talked about that with poker when poker first started showing up on the TV. Yeah. There was a lot of people saying, you know, is poker really a sport? I've heard people say that about golf, too. Sure. To me, that's kind of, I don't care, I think, about yeah. the esports thing. Whether or not it's actually a sport, I don't really consider it necessarily the same thing just because sports, for, for me, just for some reason, I think of, like, physical exertion. Yeah. But I don't care. I I, yeah. I need to be clear. I don't care about that distinction because yeah. I I found when I was watching this, I was really digesting it very much the same way yeah. as I was digesting other sports, and I definitely found it much more interesting than say something like bowling, which I you know is a sport, I yeah. guess, and is on sports TV. But for me, I found 
this StarCraft thing much more interesting than I would much rather play. I think I think that um, when you talk about how there's like that level of actions per minute and that skill level that um, you know is so much beyond like sort of the casual person like picking up and playing, yeah. I think that actually makes a good argument for like it being legitimately considered a sport because if there's that kind of uh, you know like if there's that kind of like level of training and everything that goes into it to make you the professional, yeah. then uh, you know th- that's certainly a fair argument. It, you know like. I think that anything where someone who's been playing for a year could compete with the best in the world, that that to me seems like it's it's tough to make an argument for it. Yeah. Uh, but if you know, like if if it's something where it takes years of practice and refinement and honing to get to that level, uh, and some people just can't do it, like there's just like you know, not everyone's going to be yeah. a professional athlete. You could train your whole life and you would never make it to that level. Depending. Yeah. And see, and another thing I was kind of thinking. Uh, so each of these guys at the top level, again, specifically talking about StarCraft, they play one of the three races, right? Like they play Protoss, Terran, or Zerg. So I would be interested to see, has anyone ever switched, right? Like does anyone oh, yeah. Yeah, go from being a Protoss to being a Zerg? Because it's, if it's like you have spent so much time training on it, yeah. kind of like being, I don't know, like a it's, shortstop or something. Yeah, it's like, it's like changing positions or yeah. changing your play style. You know, yeah, it's like, like a, it's like a goldie it, moving from yeah, like, like a butterfly to uh, you know, like a hybrid or style. In, yeah, or in it. hockey, you see guys move from defense to forward or something, but that doesn't happen Super very rare. often. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't happen often at all. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question, and I mean, uh, there's other games where that's obviously even more relevant, like games where there's class-based uh, like, right. um, roles and stuff, something like Team Fortress or something where you know you become incredibly proficient as an engineer uh, versus you know a spy or something. But, um, yeah, I mean, it opens up a, an interesting kind of question. And I think that actually segues really well into what our, our sort of topic of discussion for, uh, in video games is today. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up about uh, esports because um, maybe you'd be probably better because you've, you've done a little bit more thinking about the, the piece um, to preface. Like, so talk about what the, the Atlantic article was. and, and you know, Okay, so again, it, it was... Uh... It's an article on The Atlantic called Video Games Are Better Without Characters by Ian Bogos. Uh, so essentially, it actually visits a, a number of topics, but the, the one that I think we will probably talk more about uh, is he's talking about SimCity specifically. Very, yeah. Um, but games that are essentially more about abstract models of systems as opposed to being sort of a a character-based narrative in which you take control of a character. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, in SimCity, in 1989, when it first came out, as he's describing it, it was it's a model of sort of urban societies, the relationship between land value, pollution, industry, taxation, growth, uh, and how these things influence one another. And it kind of makes you consider that system from a perspective that is different than your own as someone living in the city. And, he, and I mean, he makes the point that you would never, as an urban planner, want to hire an <laughs> yeah, expert at SimCity. City like, it's not yeah. like it's super accurately no. uh, simulating a city, even though it's called SimCity. But, but it's, it's, a, it's an abstracted model of that system. And a complex system. Yeah, that kind of makes you think about those kinds of things. And in this, in this article, which again, I... I would highly recommend reading. It's a very interesting article. Yeah. But there's a link to another article in the Atlantic uh, called "The Philosophy of SimCity" because it's 
yeah, it's really interesting of kind of seeing how these different things like taxation and land value influence one another. And it kind of makes you think about that a little bit and about different sort of uh, classes of people and how these things are organized. Uh, as opposed to um, a narrative-based thing where you're, you know, taking control of, of an avatar and kind of just walking through, talking to NPCs. Yeah, essentially having your hand held through a story yeah, that is you intended take on, to tell a, a particular, yeah. you know, give you a particular perspective. Yeah. Did so, you ever play, because, I mean, there was a bunch of Sim games. Did you play Sim Ant? I never played Sim Ant. Because that, that was another one that was pretty interesting, where it was kind of, um, again, it was a model of sort of social structure in an ant colony, which I played that one at school. Uh, but it seems like the kind of game that they don't really make really big studios anymore. I mean, I guess yeah. there's a lot of indies. I mean, there's stuff like, well, that, what, and, what is it, like Goat Simulator or something like that? But I don't think that, that is not, it's not the quite the same thing. Simulator. I don't think it really <laughs> simulates the life of a goat. Yeah. Necessarily, um, yeah. So I mean, they it, it was interesting because in the article they cite sort of the inspirations for um, Wright's decisions for all of these different sim games, and everything was firmly rooted in the desire to create what I think he described as like a digital toy box, uh, yeah, or something right. to that effect. Yeah, where it's essentially replicate, you know, using systems to create an environment to sort of play in. Um, now it's the Sort of, I just want to sort of preface with my thoughts on on the article. I thought it was incredibly well thought out and, and a really interesting look at uh, specifically the the idea of what kind of game something like SimCity is. Um, it's worth noting that uh, it's it's inherently subjected by the title. It's right. you know like it's it's talking about like what are the best games. Well, the best game for yeah, it's more of an essay than yeah. an open ended. And and I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking no, it for that. I'm just basically that. saying that like anyone reading this has to understand that going in. That yeah. This is this person's uh, belief about what they they find most enriching about games and why exactly. And um, so it, it like when when you look at that, he makes a great point for the value of of uh, you know games that are based on complex systems. <coughs> Sorry. Um, now, one thing that uh, sort of jumped into me is that he, he kind of addresses that, uh, you know, sort of the modern thrust of gaming is is more narrative, that it is more based on... And I think that the thing that, that jumped out to me, because when he talked about that, I couldn't help but wonder why. Like, why why is that? And for my money, uh, I think it's, it has a lot to do with you know what video games are in culture now, mm-hmm. um, because when like when SimCity came out and like video games at that time uh, were very much still very niche. They weren't uh, appealing to the to broad audiences, right. and like, they also as, weren't targeted towards uh, necessarily most most adults. No, because as he was saying at the time, he was playing this in software, etc., which was like in a nook in a bookstore. Exactly, and I remember uh, buying games from places like that like yeah it, it was almost like it was like it was removed from the rest of everything else it's, right yeah it and wasn't it wasn't showcased it wasn't for everyone it was like if this is something you really love you have to kind of go to the i remember when radio shack had it like in the back yeah, of in the back store. yeah you'd walk past all the radios and the computers and stuff and they'd have the the wire shelf with all the exactly the with a handful of pc, PC games, games. Yeah. yeah gabriel um, knight and <laughs> yeah so um it, it like i mean the fact that uh, the the demographic that plays video games ha- has changed 
to me was it was a a point of consideration because I think that you know while what he says is true, there's a reason why games are built the way they are now, and I think it's because most people um, aren't compelled to those complex systems. I don't think that that's no. what they want out of a video game. And um, well, I guess it's it's sort of a broader question because I, I and. There's a couple of things. There's another a part of it that I think we maybe don't want to get into too much, but I'll just bring it up. Mm-hmm. Where he kind of is exploring the idea of narrative-based game as kind of influencing people's self-identifying as a gamer because you're yes. you're playing this game. It's it's yeah. you, your avatar playing it, and so you feel maybe more of a personal connection to your avatar and to playing these games and. It's kind of going into why people maybe are so defensive about yeah. being a gamer, which led to a certain. Well, uh, you know, what? I, thing won't try, I won't try. I won't try. It, it, it. He basically inadvertently discusses the the issues of GamerGate and, right. and the current uh, sort of climate within the gaming, like sort of the game enthusiast community, which is like sort of the battle for like the soul of gamers. If right. You, will. you know, like the idea of yeah. like who is entitled who is to this gamer? identity. Yeah. Um, which he, I, I, what I really enjoyed about this article is that he basically pisses off both sides in his argument. Yeah. I think, I think if you're, if you re- feel really strongly um, on one side or the other of that, uh, he kind of, he kind of makes fun of both of them, like in, in a sense, because he was basically saying that it really shouldn't fucking matter either way. And I agree with that. That being said, I don't think that that necessarily means that it's not, it's not a, a like a open for a discussion. I just think that the idea of identifying, you know, like what gamers are is inherently stupid. Yeah. Uh, you know, like gamers, it doesn't matter what gamers are. Gamers are people who play games. That's, yeah, that's basically I, I, I've always felt, I, we've kind of had this discussion in the past, but yeah. I have never identified as a gamer. I've played video games my whole life yeah. and I enjoy playing video games, yeah. but I have never thought of myself as a gamer. It's just something I do the same way I don't think of myself as a book reader. Yeah. Because I read books, I, it's I <laughs> yeah, exactly. enjoy playing them and I enjoy thinking about them and talking about them. But it's not, I, I don't see it as part of my identity as a person. Exactly, it's, and it's so a, it's a hobby. It's something you enjoy. It's something that you, yeah, yeah you and so consume. Tra- and sort of transitioning into the other part of the article because that was probably the, the two major things were kind of this self-identifying mm-hmm. aspect of narrative-based gameplay, and then the other thing was kind of the broader question of systems versus narrative or story or not versus but sort of as two comparing types, yeah right. comparing them as types of games, and yeah. so I, I i mean it could be wrong but i feel like you are a bit more interested in story in games than i am because yeah, I, I generally am not i don't care that much yeah. well I mean, I, we talked about this with yeah. mass effect as well and i think we're on the same page with mass effect where there was a big controversy about the end of mass yeah. effect 3 and people felt really disappointed by the narrative, and per- yeah. like they personally, felt slighted. <laughs> yeah, they did. Like yeah. personally offended yeah. by the end of Mass Effect Three, and I think both of us we felt both the same way. Like yeah. we we really didn't think that it was that bad of an ending. No. And personally, I have never experienced a story in a video game that was really that moving to me. Like, mm-hmm. I, as someone who does read a lot of books, I get better stories out of books all the time. That's not why I play video games. So I feel like just, again, as a broader question, then, you know, maybe you, I'll open it to you, is I feel probably more compelled by systems in games. And so uh, the two games that I have played by far the most recently 
are actually very much on opposite sides of the spectrum, I think. So yeah. there's StarCraft II, which I've played, which is very much very much a distilled system. It's not quite the same as SimCity because it's not modeling any yeah, real-life it, thing, but it's still yeah, kind it of like a minor that. sort of economy management, and then you're kind of it's about a whether to expand. Yeah. yeah, it's so it's very much a system-based thing. And I find even when I'm playing the campaign in StarCraft, I'm just skipping all the cutscenes. I don't yeah. care. Like it's just get me into the next scenario yeah. so that I can use this system to get past whatever new roadblock you put in the way. Exactly. And the other game that I've been playing a lot is the basically the opposite of Dragon Age Inquisition, which yeah. is very much narrative based. I wouldn't say it's completely opposite because I think that like there are combat systems, there are there are systems of gameplay sure, at play, I mean, but it's yeah. I agree that the the story takes the forefront. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, they are very different, and they both offer something very enriching. And and similarly, I like both of those games quite a bit. Yeah, oh, I do too, yeah. I mean, I've put probably 50 hours into yeah. Dragon Age at this point. But I find that, as it goes on, I find that I'm getting less interested because i don't because you'll be in an area doing something and then it's like and then you find a note saying oh you know i forgot this ring by the tree or whatever mm -hmm. and so now i've got uh, now i've got to go all the way to the other side of the map to get this ring i mean i guess i don't have to do it but i'm, I'm just a completionist so i try yeah, yeah i try to do all these of things. course anyway so the, anyway my point is that there's all kinds of narrative stuff happening and i don't care about it so yeah. much and i almost would rather just kind of skip to the end get to the core narrative which you can play through so it's yeah. it's almost more on me i guess yeah yeah but whereas with starcraft i'm actually getting much more interested in the game because there's so much As to the system yeah and and maybe at this point maybe not all of it is even going to be me playing it like yeah. it could just be me watching yeah stuff well i think i think a big part of it is actually like i think from our our academic backgrounds and our own sort of our own interests yeah, true, that, yeah. that have a big influence on it. i mean you you come from a background of you know, computer science and understanding systems and, and you know, like, it's that, yeah, uh, you know, and point. logics. Uh, so, like, I mean, that has a big part to do with it, whereas I'm, you know, my background is more in uh, in, in writing and in, uh, you know, de deconstructing narrative. So I can appreciate that side of it. I'm not saying I, I necessarily appreciate it more, but I think I'm more compelled to, to break it down. Like to, to it? Yeah. Yeah, to, to, yeah, exactly. I'm more... Yeah. I'm more aware of it and more keen to it than I am to the systems. That being said, I really enjoy, like, I enjoy a lot of games based purely on their systems. Right. Um, you know, like, a good example is probably something like sports games. Like, I can play yeah. insane amounts of FIFA, and there's no narrative to that, but there's an incredibly, there's, yeah. it's incredibly compelling to, you know, perform, perform it within the system really well. Yeah, I was thinking about that actually as well when I was after I read the article last night and I was yeah. thinking about it, it's that again is kind of a model of a real world system, which is in itself is a game. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's very much about trying to master this system of rules. Exactly. As yeah. Because like, who, I mean, who cares? It, the yeah. individual players don't really matter that much to you. But, um, you know, conversely, something that's very much more based on the, the narrative that I, is something that say like I really enjoy and get, think has a lot of value um, is something like Heavy Rain. You right. know, like having a narrative-based game where your choice is impl impacted, but you, you're not so hung up on the system of how the choice is impacted as you are the, you know, like the, the moral implications of the decisions you make and, and you yeah. know, like the, the bigger picture of the narrative. And I think both have a very valid place. And one thing I think that I, I think what maybe wasn't necessarily true in that article is that he seems to have sort of uh, suggest that they are fairly uh, separate, but they 
I think they can exa- exist very functionally within the same game. And I think my, my favorite example of that would be uh, Skyrim, where Skyrim has an incredibly robust sort of uh, complex system of an environment. And I find that sometimes the, the most enjoying th- enjoyable thing I, I find in that game is just being in the environment and seeing shit happen. You know, yeah. like, you can watch a troll fight a cave bear for no reason at all. And it's right. amazing. And, like, these things just kind of happen organically. And you can just sort of immerse yourself in this in this system and find it incredibly yeah. fascinating. I, you know what? Actually, something th- very similar happened to me last night in Dragon Age. Yeah. When I was playing that was I came across... What are those things called? The Gruffalos or whatever they're called? They're sort of like buffaloes. Yeah, yeah. They're fantasy buffaloes. Yeah. Um, but I saw I saw one of those in the distance being attacked by three wolves. Yeah. And for some reason, I felt compelled to go save it. Yeah, but so like, I run over there and I get I I ended up killing the wolves, but yeah. my party through area of effect magic and everything had hurt this druffalo or gruffalo yeah. or whatever this buffalo is called. And so it turned on me. It actually killed one of my guys, <laughs> but I didn't want to kill it because the whole yeah, point. It's like I'm here to I, save yeah, you. Because I was like, and this is the circle of life, right? Like, so <laughs> if I had left well yeah. enough alone, it at least would be a yeah. completely um, neutral circle of life thing happening. But yeah. I have injected myself into this situation now. I, and if I murder the Druffalo buffalo, you, you've I've just your killed, own I've killed everything. Exactly. You actually made done, the whole situation right. worse. So I now am, I just instructed my guys to hold position and do it nothing. And I ran. <laughs> I ran away. Anyway, so that's just, just a little aside. Not something similar that happened. Yeah. But, but your heavy rain uh, actually is a great example because that, I feel like I almost ruined that game for myself because I was trying to see everything that happened. Yeah. So I was, I wanted to see how everything affected everything else. So I ended up playing it through a bunch of times, and a lot of it was just really repetitive. Yeah. And I, it kind of, it just, I, like I wasn't really having any fun by the end of it. Exactly. Which isn't fair on the game because if if there's a way a game is supposed to be played, quote unquote, supposed to be played, it's not what I did probably. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I thought that was a great example because that was maybe my mindset was more I want to see how all this works. And that's the thing is that there are, there are examples where when you really try – like, there are games where the, the system isn't meant to be explored or, like, you know, the, you know because it can kind of break the experience of the narrative. Yeah. And that, you know, like, and that kind of sucks. Right. And, you know, that doesn't mean that it's a lesser game. It's just – it's a different – there's a different intentionality yeah. of the game. You know, so um, I think that it's it's cool. I think it's a it's a real spectrum, and I think that there's you know two sides of it, and that's why you know I don't like the idea of people sort of talking about a game like uh, Gone Home or uh, the the Stanley Parable is like not not a real game. Yeah. Um. They like they're no less a game. They just don't. It's just not the the focus. It's not where they're they're putting the. You know, you don't need objectives. You don't need these things to define a game. Yeah. Hell, SimCity doesn't have objectives uh, inherently. I mean, I no, think you can potentially play it, but like... Right, like, um, I mean, one game kind of like that from sort of the same era was Sid Meier's Pirates. Yeah. And Sid Meier actually made a bunch of kind of similar ideas of games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, but Pirates, as a kid, when I was playing that on my Tandy 1000 from Radio Shack, <laughs> uh, I didn't know, like, for years, possibly until uh, Pirates Gold came out kind yeah. of in VGA, 
the PGA glory. Uh, I didn't even know that there was a narrative in that game. There is. Like, you're trying to find your, your lost family or something like that. Yeah. You can, but you don't have to do that. So no. what I did for years as a kid was just, just sail around. Good, just try and be a good pirate. Try and be yeah, good pirate. Try and pirate and yeah. then try, always try and take Havana. And I could never, never take Havana. It's, it's but, a, yeah, so it was almost like I was taking the sandbox part of Grand Theft Auto and doing just that. Yeah. And, the the narrative side of Grand Theft Auto, you would almost, in this example, discover almost by mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that's what I, I that's what I was saying about Skyrim that I think is so great about what they did with that game in that they allowed they allowed the player to kind of have a, a dual experience and, and really be able to get both out of it. There is a controlled narrative with an intentionality of a human writer where it forces you to examine emotional uh you know exploration and stuff like that with because one thing that they point out that i think was really accurate in the article is he, he kind of mentions that you really can't have a a you can't really plumb emotional depths without uh human direction you know like mm-hmm. you, you really like you kind of have to take a directed approach if those are the things you want to explore in your in your game um but that being said, Skyrim is a game that you can enjoy without even touching that side of it. Yeah. You know, because uh, there's a, a whole complex in like world that has its own uh, sort of its own like sort of complexity, like its own structures, uh, its own systems that exist. Uh, you know, outside of that narrative, and they exist to in to facilitate the narrative, but they can also just be used independently. So. Uh, it's it's cool. I think that as games are getting more sophisticated, um, it's allowing for kind of that the, the sort of the multiple ways to enjoy a game. Like there's no yeah. one right way to right. play some of those games, which I think is awesome. Right. Yeah. And it's um, so one thing that I often hear is like the our video games are. I actually I don't even know if anyone really talks about that anymore. But it was a big thing. Like yeah, I'd say I'd say maybe like five years ago. It was yeah, it was kind of like topic. our video games art and kind of like the our esports sports for me. I don't really care. Yeah, that like that distinction doesn't really make any difference to me. But for me, I think some people kind of see this narrative thing like the higher form of video games is like really impactful narrative and stuff like that yeah and for some people that probably is true but for me i don't care like it doesn't really matter to me but i think essentially what you're saying is that there's kind of different types of games for different types of people yeah in a way not that like you shouldn't play that but like for something like gone home maybe not everybody can enjoy that you kind of to enjoy it you, you kind of have to meet the developer halfway yeah Exactly, I agree, and um, I think that I think one one part of it too is that uh, as he discusses uh, in the article, he kind of talks about how um, you know other media tackle those sorts of things effectively. Should we just leave it to those things? And I I, I kind of disagree with what he was saying there because I think that um, while they do like narrative media tends to tackle like those kinds of issues very deftly. Right. But I don't think that inherently means that interactive like video game media doesn't like can't do it or shouldn't do it because I think that I think that there's something to be said about taking uh, or adding the immersiveness that you can get yeah, out of I agree. Game, or I... the or the agency of the of the player to impact what you take away from yeah, it. Yeah, and I should I should clarify that it's not that I don't care at all about oh, the narrative no, yeah. of a game. Of course. Uh, when I was saying before that like there aren't any narratives that I have loved in video games, it's not saying that they're all bad either. Like it's not like it's all just rubbish. 
Like, uh, and I, I agree with you. I think that there is absolutely the interactive element of it, I think, yeah. could make some really compelling stories. It's just yeah. maybe that's uh, coming, I guess. Maybe yeah. as different well, types I mean, of people get into the development, you know, like, development of games. I don't think there's been a, uh, you know, like a, a Hemingway of video right. games yet. I don't think there's been a, like, The Wire or, or Citizen Kane or anything like that. But that being said... It's still an incredibly young medium. It is, yeah. And and, and just as uh, as this, I mean, as it was a niche thing back in 1989 when uh, Ian Bogost was buying SimCity from, or yeah. he actually was playing it in uh, software, etc. Yeah, it was also very much a niche thing for the developers as well. That's right. Like it was um, back like in Sierra Online, um, you know, those kinds of guys like Space Quest. Uh, that was developed just in the spare time of yeah. two guys that were working on King's Quest that kind of just wanted to do something different because King's Quest was so serious. Yeah. Space Quest was a little more humorous, so they just kind of yeah. developed it on the side. Just, just as something to explore. Um, yeah, and so it was really more just kind of this insular group of people almost that was making these games as a niche development thing and a niche uh, consumption thing. Yeah. And, I mean, now it's huge. It's a huge Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're talking about companies of hundreds of people working right. on one game. Yeah. And, again, like, the processing power of the of the tools that are playing these games, you know, like, with the consoles and the PCs, uh, there's just so, it's so much bigger uh, a world to sort of explore now. So I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of room to grow from the narrative telling side of it. And not only that, also with the complexity of systems that you can make, mm -hmm. which is uh, which is also, I think, a really interesting thing. I like, I think the thing that I, I felt the most after reading the Atlantic article is that I really want to see more games like SimCity. I think that yeah, there there needs to it, it may not be the mainstream game. Yeah, it may be a niche thing, but I just want to see more things like that. And that was kind of the the sad takeaway because I yeah. mean, Maxis, closed the studio down. that developed it, closed. Yeah. Uh, so he was kind of saying like that was you know the death knell or whatever of the, the SimCity type of game. Yeah. But I, f I feel like there are still games that do that kind of thing, oh, especially absolutely. on the indie scene. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, even big big level, uh, there's Cities XL, and I think they've right, got like, like a new yeah, that, I mean and, that came out this week. Yeah, and then they've got um, Tropico, which is another yeah. similar kind of a game. Like there have been uh, games inspired by it since, so it's not like that genre is going away, but it's. It's not the mainstream, and I think, no, it's and not. I don't think that that's because of developers. I think that's actually because of the demographics. I think yeah, that's, that's because I mean, what consumers buy. want. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think that um, it was it was a really great article, and I just think that it was really ar well articulated uh, the value in that sort of a, a game, and it brought up an interesting discussion about narrative. So, yeah, I'm, I'm I think. Uh, the the bottom line, um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of room to grow on both sides of the spectrum, and there's a lot of room in between to sort of meet at it. And StarCraft Three is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, before we before we jump over to other stuff, I do want to quickly touch base on um, sort of our experience playing Dragon Age Origin because we yeah we should talk about that yeah, yeah this past week we decided to jump into the the cooperative side of it um, for the first time yeah um, because and and I guess some background on this is we. We played a lot of the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. Yeah, it's probably like a one. lot of it. I think that is honestly the most I've played an online multiplayer game since like Counter-Strike, like pre-Source Engine Counter-Strike. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the top ones for me uh, in the past few years. I think since then, the only game I may have played as much or more is like Titanfall, which right. 
honestly, I think that Mass Effect was a better better experience. I just it found it I just really, really sunk good experience. I yeah, like, I really fun. enjoyed Mass Effect 3's multiplayer way more than I think there was any reasonable right to expect. That yeah, because I, I mean, it wasn't an incredibly deep. Uh, no system it just it worked really well and i think there was a certain dynamism to the cooperative structure to it yeah especially when you're not playing with the same like we were getting different players like maybe one or two yeah we'd get players we'd never somebody played else with. yeah and it would definitely impact the experience sometimes frustratingly but uh and, yeah especially on really in in a really great yeah. synergistic way and it was strange on higher difficulties because on the lower difficulties you'd get you know "Quote unquote," the numpties, yeah, who would run off on their own and get yeah. killed, and then like we kind of have to make that risk reward uh, yeah. strategy of like, well, do we go save this guy or do we think that we're better off the two of us <laughs> yeah. at this point? Uh, but then on the higher difficulty levels, you've got like the people who really know what they're doing, and they get really frustrated when, when you're not doing exactly yeah. what they want to do. Uh, although there were occasionally the people that just had re- like were really like say leveled up or really like had really great sort of stats or whatever and they would try and go on their own yeah those were the frustrating people because you know they'd be effective to a point but then when you get to that point in the in the the games where you basically have to work together regardless of how good any individual is then you'd get dicked so uh (laughs) um in the yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so uh we tried out um Dragon Age Inquisition, uh, first thing I noticed is how similar the structure was. Yeah. Uh, I felt it, it felt very similar, just it had it had sort of a bit of a thrust to it where... Yeah, it was almost more... Well, actually, that's not fair, because Mass Effect was also a very narrative-based game, but I, yeah. it was it was more of a narrative-based co-op thing, because you're yeah. kind of like... Not that there's a lot of story going on, but no, you're, but you're you kind of move from traversing area through to the, the next. level. Yeah. Whereas in Mass Effect, it was much more kind of... It was like horde, horde onslaught. Right, yeah. yeah, like there were just Where waves of enemies in coming at you. This area, try not to die for ten waves. Exactly, or, or whatever it is. Which was great. I, I actually really loved yeah, that I kind of game. Cannot like, stress enough how much I enjoyed. Yeah, aspect and actually, it's funny. The reason I ended up playing Titanfall as much as I did is they later introduced a, a like horde a mode. horde mode yeah. that was really fucking great. So um, that kind of gameplay can really work, but. They do something similar in Dragon Age Inquisition, where there are environments that ha- you get kind of like spanned with enemies and you get a bunch of people thrown yeah, at you. And at the end, especially, yeah. it's sort of like a, a big final wave to, yeah, sort to survive. Yeah, the boss fight-ish yeah. thing. Um, but the two things that jumped out at me is that there were the, you traverse an environment into sort of five major areas, and there are places that you can loot and like, you know, get like sort of side like areas where you can get extra gear or whatever uh, and find stuff. Um, that only t- particular types of uh, you know party members can access. Um, yeah, you need to have different like a warrior or something to bash through a wall. Exactly, or, a or to, to break a to, spell or pick, yeah, a lock. pick a lock. Yeah. So I liked that side of it because there was a certain element of uh, exploration, as as small as it may have been. Um, so it it was good. It, it added a little bit more to it, and uh, but it still had a similar kind of a vibe. And it still felt very much like playing the, the single-player game as well. In terms of the yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I would say, like, from my end, uh, the one thing which, we, again, we talked about before is uh, it's kind of, there's an implied backstory yeah. between, because there's the four of you in co-op, or I guess you can play with three <laughs> or whatever yeah. it is. But, so there's an implied backstory for your players, and so they kind of have a running narrative throughout the level. Yeah. Uh, just sort of vaguely referencing things in the past, but 
but they're very, very repetitive. Like there's incredibly. Only, there's only like four things I think that we heard them yeah. say the whole time. Like there's the one elf who can't wait to get back to their clan. The, the clan. I when cannot wait to get and home to my clan. When and there's the guy over. who just has this dream of opening a pub with a garden <laughs> with and a guy. dog. <laughs> and, and then I another swear. person just like. This one that desperately wants to go have a Politically drink with active, them all yeah. later. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. He's just like, I hope we can all, we should all go for a drink when this is all done. That's yeah. what friends do, right? Just it, desperate. I love that because it's just kind of sad. And because hangs, yeah, it hangs unint- out there. Yeah, unintentionally, the game doesn't have a response to that. So everyone's just <laughs> silent. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> Uh, unfortunate uh, awkward silence which is i love that's a fun like unexpected byproduct of that moment is the yeah. is the implied awkwardness but <laughs> like, yeah so i guess game. like we're it's fine having that it's just like there's i don't know if it was just the random number generator happened to keep spitting out the same audio <laughs> clip yeah. or you're not supposed to play like five games in a row yeah but like, we just heard like the, i swear the pub and the dog <laughs> That guy, we heard him say that three or four times in one game. Yeah, I don't know why it just keeps looping. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a big hindrance. It was just kind of an. It was like it just kind it's of just, takes you out. Yeah, of like it. what? It was, yeah, yeah, it was weird. I, like I don't need to have a backstory with these yeah. people. One thing, did you notice the the character creation uh, or like the character selection thing? There's different sort of classes again. Like Mass Effect Three had a similar yeah. thing. Um, uh, sort of for who you want to be in the party. But one thing I thought was really cool is you unlock them. By crafting their like outfit, basically by crafting their oh. their armor. So there's a crafting system uh, that that it carries over to the online. And right. yeah, so as you're playing, like I noticed, I went through my inventory after we had played a few games, and you will con- uh, you accumulate some gear. Like you know, I've got some some gruffalo hides or whatever. Yeah, right. Some gruffalo. Uh, and uh, so yeah, once you build up enough stuff from playing games, you can actually unlock. Uh, other character types which is cool there's a lot of different options yeah so um yeah i thought it was really cool i i, I, I liked yeah. it i feel like it i liked it i'd say certainly early on i didn't enjoy it as much as the mass effect 3 because yeah. and it's probably just the style of game because the combat in dragon age is much it, more of an mmo like kind yeah, of yeah it has hold it, down the attack button yeah. Whereas Mass Effect was more of a shooter, so even if you don't have high level abilities or gear, yeah, you can still get the satisfaction. Of yeah, you're still you know, contributing. Like, like if you yeah. play well, you're still contributing. Yeah, that's that's it. I think that um, there's a certain level of just sort of like twitch skill level yeah. in Mass Effect that that doesn't exist. And to just the kind same of degree, broader, and and it's probably just the fact that it was kind of a horde thing as well. Like a, the broader strategy and positioning. Uh, was kind of more interesting I yeah. think, than uh, the yeah. running through kind of just trying to smash what's in the room. Yeah. That, is... that being said, I I could already tell that I think there's definitely more strategy to to use in that game than what I think we're doing at that level. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just the fact that we started out and we kind of yeah. you know you get one or two abilities. So I guess that I, you unlock. Yeah. So we'll revisit. Yeah, I'd say that my takeaway was that um, it's it's pretty good. I'd say it's worth trying if you have Dragon Age Inquisition. It's definitely worth kind of putting some time into because it yeah. definitely it gives some longevity to the game no question um so i mean we, we can move from that let's move over to the the television side of things because there's a couple of things we want to stick in the fantasy realm uh yeah yeah i guess that's a good opportunity you know talking about uh fantasy and and you know bullshit uh, <laughs> yeah to uh okay. to talk about game of thrones so i guess that answers my next question which was 
you seemed very sore in season four of Game of Thrones. Um, Specifically yeah. the one incident. I, I think I, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I think that we're going to say spoilers are oh, fine at this point. Like the yeah. statute of limitations let's, is passed on spoilers. Well, like for anyone but, anyone yeah. listening, let's make it abundantly like clear. We're going to be discussing Game of Thrones in like season four uh, and so on. Like to pretty pretty extensive detail so spoilers are a given if you haven't seen it yet uh you know and you don't want it to get spoiled for you don't listen um i'll put in the show notes like when when we kind of stop talking about it so people can fast Skip forward ahead. appropriately yeah uh but yeah let's just kind of get that out there um yeah no i i to be clear i love game of thrones i actually yeah. think it's a incredibly well produced show and it actually it's a very compelling story um, I do find though, from a storytelling perspective, uh, I don't always agree with the choices they're making. I think that there's a lot of, uh, sort of misery for misery's sake or the sense of, yeah. like, the sense of like subverting audience expectations, uh, without a valid reason. And I've kind of dubbed this the, uh, the <laughs> fuck you storytelling is essentially what I'm kind of coining the term for it. Where uh, it's like, you know, oh, you want this to happen? Fuck you. You know, like, I, I'm gonna... Oh, you like this guy? Yeah, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Fuck you storytelling. So, I'm coining that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But yeah, no, I, I thought um, there was some serious... So, problems. yeah, I'll, I'll just say that in general, I... Game of Thrones is a very hard show to watch. And yeah. I think, like, everybody can agree on that. It's... Uh, so intense, it's and I think that we'll uh, I'll kind of bring up another style of storytelling that I think Game of Thrones does exceptionally well mm-hmm. uh, beyond the fuck you storytelling <laughs> uh, that kind of, it that very much ties into it. But um, I I've been hurt by Game of Thrones in the past, you know, because you, you've got your characters that you like, yeah. and then they die a horrific death, but you generally could understand why it happened, right? Mm-hmm. So. Somebody like Rob kind of was too maybe optimistic and trusting and too naive maybe, mm-hmm. and the same thing with Ned Stark. I obviously was the the first major, yeah, for casualty sure. of this. Uh, but I think so. I kind of understood why it happened previously, and it's sort of it's not quite like a Breaking Bad, you know, actions have consequences kind of storytelling. Yeah, but it's. People's actions have consequences. It's just not the consequences that you'd expect necessarily. Yeah, there's but always a co- like there's always a cause and effect. It's an effect. Of, it's just yeah. maybe in not the way that you had anticipated it would happen. Yeah. But having said that, so like it hurt having people die. Yeah. But I kind of understood it. Yeah. But the one that really hurt was Oberyn. Yes. And that was, I think, the one that really hurt you as well. Because, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you, I think you texted they me. They kind of broke me a little it, bit. Yeah, because yeah. you, you'd sent me a text. I like I can't remember yeah. the exact uh, words, but it was something along the lines of, like, fuck this. Yeah. This is bullshit. It's like, what the fuck? And it was, it was such a horrific death. Just, I mean, just from the gore perspective. Oh, yeah. It's like, one of the, visually it's, horrifying. It's one of the most, like, it's one of the most... Uh, sort of just go- gruesome deaths I've ever seen on television. Yeah, it's one of the most horrific. I mean, it really, really horrific. So, yeah, I, I would say on the whole, like the fuck you storytelling, like and and uh, uh, George R. R. Martin has been accused of being kind of a nihilist in the past. <laughs> yeah, uh, and which I 
I didn't really, I think, agree with. But the over thing was really, really hard yeah. to stomach. I think that it was hard. Yeah. So anyway, go. Well, yeah. let's yeah, let's take a look at that specifically then, because that I think is a great example of why I I call it fuck you storytelling. <laughs> because, um, like in that in that situation, uh, Oberyn has established himself as a character with integrity. He's uh, you know, he's been benevolent. He's basically there's very few like sort of character flaws, uh, even like predating the the battle um you could say that he seemed a bit arrogant going into the the combat but he was also like they also established that he's incredibly skilled he's and he's a yeah. very he's an excellent warrior and he you know and he kind of proves in that uh in the fight that skill over well, like yeah, is I mean, better than might like he wins the fight exactly there's no question he was the superior fighter um and he does like he bests him and then basically what happens is it's just a matter of um, it's not over until it's over. Yeah, and then he, he is so consumed with anger. Yeah, uh, which I guess maybe was his character flaw. So maybe that's the cause yeah. Of I, I there, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's a, he's he has a character flaw. And it's definitely like his righteous anger. vengeance. Yeah, righteous, righteous anger. Vengeance, he yeah. had absolute horrifying just cause. Yeah, for the way he felt, but. Yeah, which I think makes his death that much more. That's the difficult. thing. It's like it's it would be it would definitely be more acceptable if like he did like if he did fall, but the fact that he's it's like it's not just in, it's insult to injury to like to insult like it's just you know in the most insulting way yeah, possible. Yeah, he's defeated. He, he is like his head is crushed. He is like told as he's dying as that he everything dies, yeah. he believed was right. And he's still gonna die and not get justice. Uh, so there was just like it, it's just one of those things where you you have to ask sort of in terms of when you look at the narrative scales, uh, does the punishment suit the crime or does it fit the character? Does it fit the circumstance? And I mean unequivocally, it doesn't. Um, which is something that it happens throughout that show is that you know there's always you know like there's like there's always injustice. People don't really like rarely get what they deserve yeah. or like what they're entitled to um with the only exception i could really think of is daenerys targaryen like she she tends to like, like yeah. at least at this point she's, something's gonna happen there <laughs> yeah like something, i mean something's gotta if, get if there's anything i've learned from from martin's narrative style is that yeah she is going to come up short somewhere down the line and or it's probably be, when it'll hurt the most as as an audience member like when you're the most <laughs> on side is when that he'll take everything away and that that begs a question, I, I think, because that's a, my biggest problem with what he does is that um, I'm okay with subverting expectations um, and 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 giving like and not and not necessarily paying off what you would expect. But the question is, why do it? You know, like what does the audience get from it? What do you what you know, like like sort of does it enrich the experience? Does it really offer something? Does it say something? Like what have we learned from this? exactly? And and at this point, when you like say in the case of Oberyn, uh, do you really learn that uh, you know, like that vengeance isn't okay? I don't think so because there's lots of other examples where vengeance is exacted with no retribution, at least at this point, and it, it, throughout the the universe. Um, like uh, trying to think of some examples here. I mean, well, well you know, Daenerys, at the end of the season, like I, I, and like all the all the slavers, Tyrion. Stuff. Uh, you know, like right. it, it's you know people kill people that wrong them all the time and are and are scot-free so right away 
the idea that you could say, well, it's not good to be too angry and to be too vengeful is destroyed. You know, like that's, that's not why that character died. That character died because basically that other dude wasn't dead yet and decided to cave in his skull. Yeah. Um, and I think that like more broadly, maybe the lesson to take from it is like, this isn't the fantasy world of your and like bad things happen in this world, which was kind of like, I think with Oberyn was very much like, I get it. Like that bad things happen. Yeah, but there's, you know, that's, that's coming off of a, like a season where a dude gets his hand chopped off even like for no good reason. Uh, you know, like a dude died, even though he was the most honorable guy in the area, like being Ned Stark, like there are, you know, like a guy goes to, to, the guy gets married and his wife and him get butchered, including everyone he's there with. Like, there's no question that. Yeah. The fact that that is like. The Red Wedding is, like, teetering on the brink of being top three most horrifying things to happen in that show. Is Yeah. Within the... Yeah, and that's, like... Yeah, with, and that's... Yeah, so both... And two of... Yeah, two of the most horrific things you see on television were in that show. Yeah. Um, so, there's no question that, you know, these are things that, uh, like, it's it's so hammered in. Like, what does that serve in that moment? And I don't think... like. If his point is to prove that, like, in this world, life isn't fair, it's like, okay, well, you've done your job. Like, are you really servicing the story by continuing to hammer that point home? Yeah. And I don't think it necessarily does. Yeah, I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from that one was, I like, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really hard to watch. Like, I watched that the morning after it aired. And, uh, like... It, I, I don't want to say it ruined my day, but it kind of ruined my day. Like yeah, it was, right? It was a bummer. And yeah. But, like, and I guess that maybe we can segue here into the, the things that Game of Thrones does well. Yeah. Which was that, you? I mean, you knew that that episode was coming because that was, like, a duel, and it was at least a couple episodes in advance. You knew that was coming. Yeah. And it's a credit to the show that I had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. And I, and I felt in my heart that Oberyn couldn't win that fight. Well, you know why? Because, it's because, because of fuck you. Well, no, not that. It, that's <laughs> that's an oversimplification. <laughs> no, in this case, it's because of Tyrion. Yeah. Uh, because Tyrion tries to use the same the same trick to get out of the same twice, like the same yeah. problem twice. Yeah. And I think that that's maybe that's maybe a way to interpret it is that uh, Oberyn is the unfortunate sort of byproduct of of Tyrion learning his lesson that he can't get someone to fight his battles to get out of every yeah. situation. Um, again, I don't know. Th- that's kind of a thing where that situation was kind of painted to to piss, like to be uh, to kind of shit on people either way. Either like the guy loses or he wins, and then people are like, okay, so Tyrion just like does trial by combat anytime he gets into trouble, and then he gets out of it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, um, it's it. So I guess in that that respect, I will concede that there is a a sort of sort of legitimacy to that particular. Um, yeah, so, I mean, just more broadly speaking, the fact that these horrifying things happen on the show from a positive side is that, um, we legitimately as viewers don't know what's going to happen most of the time. Like it's it's created this environment where anything can happen, which is what makes the show so gripping at the same time. It's what makes it so painful. Yeah. I mean, well, what makes it so painful is the fact that 
it's incredibly well written and well acted yeah. and you get very attached to these characters yeah. more so than just about any show on television i think that i care about these characters and then the most horrifying things happen to them yeah but but um, i mean the positive side is that especially especially season 4 was great at it is that anything can happen at any time i mean it's i think episode 2 or episode 3 where king joffrey just dies like yeah just just gets really yeah, early on and then poison, there's yeah. a power vacuum and you're like well what the shit now what can that was in episode two or three like, yeah, what, yeah what is gonna happen, gonna happen the rest of this episode uh, season? yeah and, and yeah go, what i was gonna say that actually to me that that makes me think of breaking bad which does the same it did the same thing incredibly well but at right. the same time they did manage to have a real sense of uh sort of narrative justice i think right was absolutely like, yeah you know, like it was much more of a cause and effect and more of a I, I don't want to say linear cause and effect, but like yeah. basically actions have consequences. Exactly. Right. And I think that that's the one thing that I feel like Game of Thrones doesn't do that as well as Breaking Bad. And that's not necessarily, that's not enough to condemn it because Breaking Bad's probably one of the best shows to ever do that. Yeah. And also um, the way that things happen on Game of Thrones are really more true to life, but maybe yeah. less, um, I, I certainly less a compelling of a narrative for you, I guess, with the fuck you side. Well, I don't think it's necessarily it's it's not that it's a compelling narrative. It is. It's it's fascinating to see these characters' journeys and where they're going, and you know. But I I would say that it's a less rewarding narrative. It's it you know like when when you see these characters die, you don't have that moment of like it's it's almost like not getting a sense of closure, which I feel I feel like most yeah. most most storytelling is almost like a means of getting some sort of closure. It's a it's a way of making sense yeah, in a world and, and that's I, senseless. And I think that's just the that's just the way that human brains work as exactly. well. Like we're very yeah. much conditioned for a sense of justice, and yeah. you don't get that. Yeah, I mean that was in the season four trailer. Like uh, Tyrion says, and I mean he says it in the actual show as well. But if if you're looking for justice, you've come to the wrong place. And yeah, that, that's almost absolutely like speaking to right. the audience directly. Yeah. yeah. That's the way Game of Thrones works, and I guess you, and you kind of have to take that. Yeah, and I, I think for some people that that does appeal. Personally, I think that uh, I, I I want I want my stories to 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 really say something beyond just try and be a, yeah. like a simulacrum of life. Yeah, you know, I, like, I agree. You know, like I don't want to like as cool as it is to see a a like fantasy world that like parallels reality. Uh, it's interesting. It's just not enriching to me. You know, so I think that that's that's my biggest you know sort of bone to pick with it with the way that they tell that story, um, but it's still really fucking great. It's still really yeah. compelling. I think yeah. yeah, I think the the thing to take away from this conversation is that we criticize because we love. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I just don't want to give the impression at all that I don't think that Game of Thrones is a fantastic show, which I do. Yeah. Well, I think here's an interesting question. Is uh, do you think that like from the side of it of like bringing it to some sort of like a a uh, satisfying conclusion to these things paying off? Do you think they're like? Do you think it's it's beyond the the pale? Do you th or like do do you think it's like gone too far, or do you think it actually can like by the time everything's all told, um, do you think it can actually bring a satisfying conclusion for? You mean like things? have too many bad things happen to? Really... Yeah, like do you think that do you think that these things that have happened? Do you think they're like there's no way to sort of redeem those uh, things or do you think that uh 
you know, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know because at the one, on the one side of things, you've got Breaking Bad, which was very much kind of tied in and it was very much in the nature of the show itself with the cause and effect. Like basically, again, spoilers, but basically kind of ultimately things come back to haunt Walt, right? Yeah. And so it, but he kind of basically things even out in the end. Is yeah. what happens. Like basically, there's a sense of like kind of the, even out. A little yeah, bit. the people that deserve like some sort of justice, some sort of a break, get it. The people that are kind of beyond redemption have to pay for their sins. Right, and yeah. so th- there's that kind of side of it where yeah. that's kind of like a neat narrative tie-up. Yeah. On the other side of things, uh, there was something like The Wire, which is very much not tied up. I mean, sort of the the takeaway from the end of The Wire is that things don't change. Yeah. And that we're kind of just in a cycle now. Yeah. Uh, where sort of characters are taking up sort of the archetypes of previous characters that have vacated those True. spaces. So Not like to say that, that the characters themselves, some of them found some level of, I think, yeah, they did. Yeah, so like on a on a micro level, yeah. there, there were complete on characters. On a macro level, yeah. the plot, it doesn't wrap up so much as kind of the whole idea of the show is that things don't change. Yeah. So uh, anyway, my, my point with Game of Thrones is that you don't have to have a, a narrative tie-up yeah. to be a great show. But I don't know, I don't know where it's going. And, yeah. and neither do they, because I mean, it's based on the books, which aren't finished. Yeah. And I, they're going to pass the books, right? Yeah. Like the, well, again, well, this actually links to the article that, you know, either will be up or will be going up soon um, that I wrote, which is the, the kind of, idea of like you know what's going to be canon when the, when all is said and done in the series because the most likely scenario is that they're going to finish the series uh before they finish before he finishes the books if he's got two more books to write and on average the past couple of books he's taking five years or more that's 10 years there's no way this show is going to run no, for 10 more years brand is not going to be a teenager <laughs> yeah exactly there's just, there are there Bran are real world limitations old. that make it make it impossible um so yeah, we can let's let's segue actually into that and just touch on. It. I'm just curious to think what what did you like? How did you feel about that uh, that piece and and what's your kind of take? Um, horrifying admission that I haven't had a chance to look at it. You piece of God damn it! No, I'm kidding. I was, um, no, I was going to look at it before I posted. It. I haven't had a chance. Yeah, to that's right. I'm just <laughs> it's not a big deal. But so I guess sorry, I, I like just to to pose the question to you then. Um, <laughs> what like uh, if the TV show finishes before the book series? Um, what has the most claim as can? Um, well, just just to pull pull back, I guess from that a little bit. You haven't read the books at all. Right? No, I haven't. And so, I, yeah, I, and I, I guess sort of this that. this will kind of be the answer to my question is that I have read the some of the books. Yeah. And but I read them after the TV show. I sort of I watched uh, I think the first series, um, and then before the second season came out, I sort of read the book. I think. And then watch the first season again to yeah. kind of, uh, you know, refresh my memory. And I continued that with the second book. But essentially, what I found is that the book gives you a lot of extra color, like a mm-hmm. ton of background. I mean, it's they're huge books, right? They yeah. give you a Lots ton of, of description, ton of history, yeah. background on the different families and stuff like that. Also, a whole bunch of useless detail, like where everyone was sitting at the banquet and yeah. what the fourth, fifth, and sixth courses were. Yeah. Um. But I found that basically the first season especially is a great edit of the first book. Yeah. It's essentially the same things happen. They just combine 
some characters into one character that serves yeah. essentially the, the same purpose, and they just cut out all the stuff that is not necessary to tell the story. Yeah. And I thought it did a great job of that. And uh, so going forward, I've, I've essentially found that I prefer the show to the book. The yeah. books, sorry, the show wouldn't exist without the book of because course. it's done such an incredible job of world building. Yeah. And it helps the show that these books exist because they know these details. These yeah. details exist if they need to go back to them. Yeah. So everything, even though they're not telling you everything, all of that is logically consistent. It's like the story Bible, right? Which is, yeah, which so is so much more extensive. They're than able to else. tell this concise story, maybe leaving some details out because yeah. they can. They know that those details still exist that they can revisit and exactly. have everything be consistent still. But for me, I find that the show basically is a fantastic edit of the books and is ultimately, I think, a more concise and better story. Yeah, Personally, and I would I agree. Have... I would totally. I mean, like again, not reading the book, but like. I would agree that I think that the story that like understanding what I, I know of what takes place over the course of the books, I think they've done a great job of, of truncating it and, and parsing it over the course of the TV yeah. show. Uh, and I mean the, the pace of the show is good. It, it moves in a, in a like a really like sort of consistent way. I mean it has some lulls through the show, but I think ultimately, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think sort of I, I'm on the same page and I think one of the things that I think is uh, most important to consider about that is the fact that um, canon is kind of dictated to a large extent by by the culture, by you yeah. know, like by the way that people you know know about it and consume it and everything. And so, I mean, that's that's something that I, to be clear, in, in my article, I don't I don't make a, a a supposition. I don't make a statement as to what it should be. I think that it's going to be an interesting yeah. way to decide. And I don't think in this case it's the only case I know of of its kind where there is a sort of a split creative team. Like in terms of it started with George R. R. Martin, but it'll probably finish with D.B. Weiss and David yeah. Benioff. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, it, it begs the question: Do you do you like? Is it purely the word of the creator that's gospel? I don't think it necessarily is in this case. Uh, so yeah. it's it's uh, I, I think it's it poses an interesting question. And it's of course entirely hypothetical because for all we know, maybe he bangs out a couple books. Really exactly. Quick. Somehow the books end up getting done before the show ends. Unlikely, uh, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean uh, that's that's the article and uh, or like that's the topic of the article. Anyone who wants to check it out, it'll be on our website at geekyon.com um, yeah. within the week. Yeah. Uh, and you can look uh, you can look on our, our uh, Facebook page or the the Twitter account uh, to find a link to that. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much, uh, wraps things up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think with community coming up, I think that that'll make a great episode for next week. Yeah. Next week, there's... uh, the season six actually starts. Uh, so it'd be a great way we can talk about that. And I also really want to touch on, uh, the documentary Harmontown, which I watched just the other night and is fucking brilliant. I think, uh, it was the most honest and, and real look at a creator that I've seen in quite a while. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen that, but uh, as I was saying to you off air, mm -hmm. um, there was an article on Harmontown in Grantland in the summer, which was, again, an incredibly uh, in-depth and interesting look at his persona as a creative person. And so I'll, I'll get that to you, and then maybe we can talk about that as well as, cool. as, as an addition. Yeah. But speaking of documentaries as well, um, 
on Sunday is the final episode of The Jinx, the HBO true crime documentary. Yeah. Well, which I kind of wanted to talk to, and I mean, you can tie that into Serial as well, which we both... Yeah. Uh, which is another thing like I, I'd love to have a lengthy yeah, discussion Yeah, I, I just don't think it. we have time for yeah. it, but... And it, and maybe you can watch that as well. For, yeah, for the next episode. Yeah. So um, yeah, we'll try and we'll try and tie those things in. Uh, definitely community, and we'll, we'll try and do Jinx and Serial as well. Uh, so that'll be next week's podcast. Uh, but that will be it for this week. So yeah, the uh, Saint Patrick's Day. Yeah, Happy Saint Patrick's Day. <laughs> That's a very awkward statement. <laughs> <laughs>